So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in, our, in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Amen. The word of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Mm -mm -mm. Some of us don't have the best memories. I already talked about that a little bit before. That's why I repeated the names a number of times, because that way it would stick. The bad news is, I got a little bad news, and that is it, it often only gets worse as we age. You know, so I, I guess I'm not able to look forward to any better days when it comes to memory. But even those of us who don't have that great recall ability, we do remember some things on a regular basis, right? Like, for instance, phone numbers, hopefully our own our address, our social security number. My wife knows my social security number. And I'm still just getting her date down when they say, what's your wife's uh, date of birth? And I'm like, uh, she's got mine. Anniversary dates, by the way, guys, certainly don't forget that one. But we all know we, we're going to need such info at our fingertips on a pretty, pretty regular basis. So we put, listen, we put the time and the effort, right, into it so that... Um, We'll, we'll have that in our long-term memory, not just our short-term. Now, sometimes people will scold me for not having certain facts in the forefront of my mind, like they want chapter and verse of every little Bible verse that I ever comment on. And I like to remind them of the words of Einstein. Uh, uh, how do you say it? Um, Einstein, that's his name. He was asked, how many feet are in a mile? And I love his answer. I don't know. Why should I fill my brain with facts I could find in two minutes in any standard reference book? It's a good answer, isn't it? I like it. In other words, why would I keep that stuffed in here and I can just go look it up in a couple minutes? Well, especially as I get older, the info stored in my easily, easy to access memory is becoming even more exclusive. I really got to pick and choose what I'm keeping in that memory. Some things I can afford to go back and look up, but other things need to be in the forefront of my mind and in my heart. The words we're going to be looking at from Scripture this morning come from an apostle of Christ Jesus who was about to leave this world and enter into the next, enter into glory. Knowing this, he set to write down clearly in, un, in no uncertain ter terms gospel truths that should be in the forefront of our hearts and our minds as followers of Christ Jesus. In other words, these aren't things, God ah, will look it up later. These are things that have to be readily available in our psyche, our hearts. In our minds. The things he draws our attention are things we can't afford to have fall back in the deep 
uh, recesses of our minds uh, gathering uh, cobwebs, right? Especially, listen, this is the reason why, especially when we're being bombarded every day by so-called new information claiming to be more relevant, more applicable, more urgent to our everyday lives. It's tempting to give our ears to old heresy that's packaged in new stylish packaging. And, and then we instead neglect the truth that can really deliver on his promise to set us free and to keep us free. False teachers were boldly dissing the apostles and their teaching and trying to replace the apostolic eyewitness testimony of Jesus and the Old Testament teaching that spoke of Jesus with their own so-called message of freedom and liberation. So what we're going to see this morning is Peter exalts us to remember, exhorts us to remember, to pay attention, and to understand. Does that not sound like a parrot? How many times we we say that to our kids? Remember, listen, pay attention. Don't you understand? Right? Teachers do that too, I know. What we're going to see this morning is we're exhorted to remember the apostolic eyewitness. That's what we're to remember. Secondly, to pay attention to the word of the prophets made more certain. I don't know about you, but to me, that, that's, that's intriguing. The word of the prophets made more certain? What in the world does Peter mean by that? The last thing we have to understand, Peter wants us to understand the true nature of the prophecy of Scripture, of the Old Testament prophecy. So remember, pay attention, and understand. Next week, we'll really dig into the understand part. So we're really only going to deal with the first two this morning. Because I ran out of time. I looked at my allotted time, and I'm like, man, I didn't even get to my third point. So we're going to save that for next week. Take a look at the first one. Remember. Look at verse 12 with me again. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. This is a man who realizes this is his last shot. He uses the word remember, or a variant thereof, three times in three verses. Just a casual reading of that. Remember, recall, remember. The first time is a reference to what he's written so far in verses 1 to 11. We're not going to go over that all today. We already went over it for the last three weeks. You can listen to our messages. On, we have them online. He encourages us by saying this. This is what's encouraging. Even though you know these things and are firmly established in the truth you now have. Now listen, he's not playing psychological games. He's encouraging his readers with the genuine fact that they already know the great truths of the gospel and the application of the gospel to their lives that he has already written about. They're already firmly established in the truth of the gospel. So then why the refresher? 
See, we read the Bible, but a lot of times we're not asking the right questions. Well, wait a minute. If they already know, they're already established. Why is Peter so uh, uh, serious about reminding them? Well, he tells us why. Because Jesus made it clear to him his time is short on earth. He's about to finish his, listen to this, this is exciting. He's about to finish his pilgrim journey here. And he's about to receive a rich welcome, as he puts it in his own epistle, into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He sees the end. And it's a glorious end. But in terms of the relevance for the church of Jesus Christ, he's not going to be around to keep telling them the truth of the gospel. You know, we often think when we're going to leave our children as parents, what's going to happen to them? When I'm not there to remind them. When I'm not there to say, remember, recall, pay attention. What's wrong with you? No, that's my way. Shouldn't do that. I'm a little negative there. But, you know, we do, we're concerned. See, here's the issue. False prophets will be around. Right? The wolves will be around. Circling the people of God. Some of them will be coming right from among their own number. People that they went to church. Read the Bible every day. And all of a sudden there's going to be a twist. So in a sense, this is Peter's last will and testament to the church. Something to go back to again and again when false teachers and false claims rear their ugly head in the church. Now listen, whether it's liberal theologians who deny the authority of the prophets and apostles by claiming that they were in error, the people who, so-called theologians who say, oh, there's errors in the, on every page of the Bible. Or the so-called new prophets who claim that their interpretation of the Bible is the only authoritative interpretation of the Bible. We know who they are. Jehovah's Witness, their organization called Watchtower. You know everything, you have to read what the Watchtower says because that's the authoritative word. Or we all know the, the other testament of Jesus. What am I talking about? The Mormon. So not only you got to read the Bible, you got to listen to Joseph Smith and, and the angel Moroni, which cracks me up, Moron. Why are you going to call your angel Moron? I'm sorry, I'm getting a little off track. But you get what I'm saying. So Peter's reminder will always need to be heated and kept in the forefront of our hearts and minds. Now listen, here's the thing. None of us are exempt from being confronted with these challenges to the truth of the gospel on a pretty regular basis. Remember I kissed dating goodbye? Some of you read that, right? Well now he kissed Christianity and Jesus goodbye. You know that? This stuff is real. Now, apparently, this, this was already happening even when the Lord's hand-picked, official, sent apostles were still on earth. We see this in verses 16 to 18, where Peter addresses the false teacher's assault on his truthfulness as an eyewitness of Jesus and his resurrection. Look at verse 16. We did not follow, says Peter, cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Now these pseudo-spiritual leaders had the audacity to question 
Peter's veracity. Sorry, I stole that from somebody. That sounded cooler, didn't it? I was reading, I said, hey, that, that rhymes. But basically, they were, they were claiming that the apostles made, made this whole thing up about Jesus and the miracles and the things that our Lord did. So they were guilty of following cleverly invented, and the word there in the Greek is myths. When, excuse me, when it says stories, it's myths. In other words, to these teachers, these false teachers, the Gospels are mythological. Now, there have always been people who make this claim, brothers and sisters. Now, now it's interesting that people who make these claims, usually their lifestyles add a step with what those words say. So we got to deny that the gospel is true, that the prophets are true, because it contradicts the way I want to live. You know, people don't reject the Bible because it contradicts itself, but because it contradicts them. Right? That old saying. A couple of quick examples. So you see that you know you see that this isn't just preaching in the air. Remember Thomas Jefferson, one of the four founders of uh, the United States of America as we know it. Well, he cut out every reference to the miraculous and the supernatural in his version of the, of, of the Gospels. So you had hardly anything left. Then you have the early heretic Marcion. He only lived 50 years, listen, 50 years after the Apostle John um, entered into glory. He taught that the God of the Old Testament was an ogre. And he was different than the God of the New Testament. It was all about love and forgiveness. See, he didn't like the idea of judgment for sin. And so all he had was a little bit of the Gospel of Luke. He chopped that down. Everything else in the Bible was, was gotten rid of except for ten epistles of Paul. And man, he must have not been reading them too good. But we have those people today, don't we? Who say, you know, I can't believe the Bible's literal anymore. I don't believe that anymore. Especially some of those places in the Old Testament. Which again, well, apparently you didn't read Second uh, Peter two, because <laughs> there's nothing in the Old Testament that's, that's scarier than the Second Peter chapter two, the judgment on false prophets, or the book of Jude. Wow, blackest darkness is reserved for them. Wow, that's heavy stuff. We will see as we look at chapter two in the next couple weeks or so that that's one of the main features of the false teachers in Peter's day. And it's also true of the deconstructionists, the progressives, and the apostates in our day. They deny that our Lord is coming a second time to judge the living and the dead. That's why Peter wants to make sure that we continue to stand firmly on the apostolic witness and the prophetic word of the Old Testament. And the first thing he reminds us of is the apostolic witness. That is the witness, the firsthand um, eyewitness of the apostles of Jesus. Look at verse 16 again. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. I love that. How does Peter refer to Jesus? As his majesty. I wonder if that's how you think of him. See, no matter what anyone else says, Peter and his fellow apostles were actually there. They saw Jesus. They, they, they had the opportunity to touch him. And they were touched by him. They saw him with, his, with their eyes. They heard him with their own ears. 
Remember 1 John, that's how he starts out. That which we have seen, which we have touched, which we have heard. So here's the thing. No other teacher after the apostles can claim that same divine authority that they had. You know, and it, it always tweaks me when I see in church signs. The apostle so-and-so's. No, he's not. He is not an apostle. Not in the strict sense. Because if he's an apostle, I have to listen to what he has to say. You with me, church? And a lot of times the things they're saying don't jive with the things God has already said. That should be your biggest red flag. Now, it's interesting to me, and it's always been interesting whenever I've even read 2 Peter, that Peter brings one event to our attention that he was an eyewitness of. And it's the event of Jesus' transfiguration on the mountain. Some of us have read the Gospels, we've read that. But i got to be honest, I'm like, whenever I've read 2 Peter, just, I'm like, really? Out of all the Gospels, right, all the incredible things and the events that, that Peter saw, he brings this one up. Not that it's not incredible, but I just thought it's kind of a weird one to bring up. Maybe I'm the only one who's ever thought, well, I know I'm not, because I even read a commentary after I was thinking this, and he said the same thing. I thought, okay, so I'm not the only one on earth who thought, Peter, what are you doing? But it's great, because now that I had to study it, because when you study things where you have to actually preach it, there's a big difference. Because now you better know what you're talking about. Because now you're standing up and you are proclaiming the word of the Lord, and you better make sure you've got the best understanding you have of it. This is not messing around. And so I'm glad I've had this opportunity to give it the attention that it deserves. And I found the clue to why Peter brings this up in, at this place in his epistle in particular. And it's, it's found in the way that he describes his message that he has been preaching. He says this, When we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is Peter referring to here? He's actually referring to his preaching on Christ's second coming in power. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I only have a little bit more time left for this morning's message, but I'm going to give you just a few reasons why we know that he's talking about the second coming. First of all, the word used here, parousia in the Greek, everywhere else in the New Testament refers to his second coming. It's never referred to as his first coming. That's number one. Number two, what, what was the, the false teachers, what was their biggest denial? The second coming. How do we know this? Read chapter 3 of 2 Peter. They mocked and they scoffed at the idea of the second coming in power. And thirdly, it only makes sense when we read the rest of the verses here uh, that this is what, what Peter is referring to. Notice what he says. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty... For he received, Jesus received, honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Listen, Mount Sinai, move over. Because the Lord is here. And it's interesting, Peter doesn't mention it here in this text, but we know when we, when we look back at the, the original event, we had Elijah and Moses was there too. And I love Peter's response back then. 
He said, oh, Lord, let us make a tent for, for Elijah and a tent for Moses and one for you. And then, it's, and then, it, then it adds, because he didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> In other words, he was so overwhelmed and it was such an incredible experience that he was like, let's stay here. This is glory. In other words, Peter, James, and John, because those are the three who witnessed this event, by the way, got a tiny glimpse of the majesty and the power that Jesus will manifest when he comes back again in his glory. See, they didn't often get to see that, right? When they saw Jesus, he's humble, mild, meek, right? In his humiliation. But for that brief few moments, they saw how he's going to be coming back. And... I, I do want to read uh, Matthew's um, recollection of this event so we get the bigger picture, and, and I think you'll understand more why Peter uses this. Here's Matthew 17, verse 1. Just take a moment with me and drink this in. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. And his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they said, man, this is so cool. I can't wait to tell my wife. Is that what happened? No, when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground. And listen to me, church. Terrified. I met someone. I, was, I met someone in Acme the other day, and they were telling me that they met Jesus on the beach, and Jesus was talking to him. And I'm like, if you didn't pee your pants, sorry, if you didn't fall on the ground, then that ain't the Jesus that the Bible's talking about, because he's in glory now. You realize that? They were terrified, and it's beautiful because Jesus came and touched them. See that? He touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. In other words, Jesus was back in his normal human form, humble, comforting them. Don't worry, you'll, you'll be okay. <laughs> you'll be all right. It's me. It's me. And I guess this would have had an incredible impression on me if I was there too, amen? And I guess this would be an event I would want to bring up later, especially in this particular context. Because what he's saying is we got a taste of the second coming. Just a smidge. But it's interesting. What was Peter's biggest takeaway? Now, there's a lot of features of this the, the, the situation of the transfiguration that I would have maybe taken away. But... Or that I thought I would think that I would take away. But notice what he takes away here. The voice he heard from heaven. Because he mentions it twice. Did you notice this? Twice he mentions it. For he received honor and glory from God the Father. When the voice came to him from the majestic glory. Saying this is my son whom I love. 
with him I am well pleased. And then in verse 18, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Now listen, what Peter is saying is as miraculous, as awesome, and as overwhelming as this event was, they still needed the God-given interpretation of what they were seeing in front of them. The word of God was still necessary. And they got just that, the very word of God the Father. And what was God's main message? This is my son whom I love. In other words, you know all the prophets spoke of this one? Jesus is him. Listen to him. You know, that's the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of the gospel message. The Father is pleased with Jesus. We could never please the Father perfectly because we're fallen sinners. Amen? But Jesus always pleases the Father. And so the Father accepted his sacrifice on our behalf. And he proved it through the resurrection. So remember, it's very important to remember, your faith is based on first-hand testimony of those Jesus himself chose to witness his majesty and his glory. Now listen, this is why it's super important to understand this. God's voice was spoken to the apostles, not to us. We don't get that direct revelation. That's why the apostolic witness. Remember I read it earlier? What is the church built on? The foundation of who? The apostles and the prophets. That's the New Testament, basically, and the Old Testament. That's our foundation. That's where God speaks. You want to hear God's voice? That's where you got to go. And as ancient as it is, it's just as contemporary. Because it applies. That means anyone who claims to have fresh, new revelation, they're liars. They're liars. Secondly, and just for a few moments, uh, because we'll finish this up next week, I do want to mention what he says next, just to get us started. He says, not only remember that your faith is based on the apostolic witness, but he says, pay attention. Notice verse 19. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And listen, church. What Peter is telling us to pay attention to is the word of the prophets made more certain. Now, the question is, how do we have the word of the prophets made more certain? Well, the transfiguration and its divine interpretation make the Old Testament prophecies of Christ's second coming even more certain. You follow me? In other words, what they saw just for that brief glimpse of Jesus' glory, that made it even clearer and more certain that the law and the prophets are indeed God's inspired word. All those things written in the Old Testament about Jesus and his death and his resurrection and his second coming in particular, we have that even more certain through the apostolic witness. And what he's saying is, you would do well to pay attention to that light not these false lights that we have burning around us all around. Notice how he puts it. He says, as to a light 
shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. We'll get to the second half of that sentence next week. But as we wrap up the, our time in the Word this morning, I want you to meditate on this in closing. The world today continues to promote unbiblical beliefs. It does. And even sometimes packaged in the name of Christianity. It continues to throw at us world and life views and philosophies that are unbiblical, ungodly. And they do so. Here's what's important. I want you to let this sink in. They do so in the name of enlightenment. They do so in the name of cutting edge awakening. Or modern illumination. In contrast with how they put it, the old, crusty, outdated, oppressive, and judgmental ancient word found in the Bible. How many times have people said, you're living in the dark ages? You're out of step with the times. Which times? Because tomorrow is new times that you were out of step with yesterday. But Jesus says through his, old, through his apostles and his Old Testament prophets, far from being old and dark, the Old Testament and the, and the New Testament are actually a light shining like a beacon in a dark place. It's our only true guide in this dark place filled with ancient lies and godless living that are repackaged over and over again as supposedly fresh, new, and exciting. And brothers and sisters, it's just poison. It's going to kill you if you take it lock, stock, and barrel. Hopefully you've memorized this verse. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light from my path. Peter is saying you would do well to pay attention to this, not those other voices that seek to lead you away from God and his gospel. Because here's the thing, if you leave the gospel, that the prophets foretold and the apostles expounded, listen to me, you leave God. You follow me? Or don't follow me, follow what Peter's saying. So listen, how well do you know the words of Moses, David, Isaiah, and the rest? How well do you know the epistles? You might know stinking computer code. You might know sports statistics. You might know what your favorite celebrities doing or not doing. And yet you're going to tell me you never did a study on your own of Isaiah. And yet that's the light. That's going to help you get through this dark world. That's the God-given light concerning the power and the coming of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ in majesty and in glory. So remember the apostolic word. Pay attention to the prophetic word. And recall, Peter's going to say this in chapter 3, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. You didn't know that. In chapter 3, he comes right out and says it. So now you know why I've been interpreting it the way I have been. You always interpret scripture, are you with me? With scripture. 
What have you been remembering? What are you paying attention to? I'm going to leave you with that. Let's pray. Father God, even those of us with the worst memories, we remember certain things, and some of them on purpose, for good or for ill. Please, Lord, have mercy on us. Encourage us, inspire us, work in us what is pleasing in your sight that we might remember the apostolic witness. That is the truth, the historical truth of who you are, Jesus. What you've done for us and for our salvation and what you will do when you come back to judge the living and the dead. Lord, please help us, each and every one of us here, not just pastors and teachers, but Lord, help us to pay attention to the prophets and to the apostles as they have spoken in your holy scriptures. Lord, help us to follow the light that directs us in this dark place. Oh, Lord Jesus, we praise you for your salvation, full and free. It's in your name we pray. Amen.